Oh, hey, good afternoon. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Rebel News weekly live stream. I think I've properly trained my brain to say that properly, um, wherein we talk about the news of the week, completely unscripted, um, and it's a great way for you to interact with us as we give our thoughts on the news of the day. Um, if you are watching us on YouTube, thank you for hanging in there on that censorship platform. But might I suggest you wander on over to a platform that doesn't care about your politics, like Rumble or Odyssey. And particularly on Rumble, uh, you can leave something called a Rumble rant. If it's over the $5 minimum, I am obligating myself to read your comment on air. Um, but don't let that be the barrier for entry. For example, we frequently read chats that are under that amount. Um, and sometimes even if one of the team is watching and they think your comment is interesting, they'll stick it in the chat for me and I will take a look at it. So it's a great way for us to just sort of get our opinions out of us. <laughs> By us, I mean me at this point. Normally I'm used to hosting with David Menzies, but I think he's best out in the world as a man on the streets. Um, and it's a great way for you to support the work that we do completely willingly. And in turn, we give you your say. So um, also on Odyssey, you can leave something called a hyper chat. Um, and again, if it's above the $5 US minimum, we'll obligate me to read it on air. Now, uh, thank you for having patience with us um, last, well, it would be the Friday before we broke for the holidays. Um, I know many of you were expecting a live stream. I was gravely ill. <laughs> and so we decided to just uh, cancel uh, the live stream. I was completely willing to um, tough it out as best I could, but um, I was noticeably sick. <laughs> so uh, thank you for your patience um, and uh, turning back up to talk to us again this week. Um, let's talk about, since we are on the topic of the holidays, Christmas holidays, uh, if it's a holiday, you know, Trudeau took off somewhere fancy and if Trudeau's having a holiday, you know he's having an ethics scandal. <laughs> and that is the case with this one. Trudeau was given a free stay. Uh, this is from the Calgary Herald. Trudeau was given a free stay at a $9,300 a night luxury Jamaican villa over the Christmas holidays. And if I am to understand this correctly, this was also a former slave plantation. So... Um, that's a little bit on the nose for old blackface there. Um, you know, pull down statues and cancel people here in Canada for not living up to the woke standards of today. But he can vacation at a former slave plantation. No big. Anyway, the prime minister stayed in a private compound at a luxury beach resort in Jamaica that rents for $9,300 per night provided to him at no cost. Now, come on. We know that there... This saying that there's no cost, that's absolutely not true. It's just that he's not footing the bill. Makes you wonder what is being offered in kind. Do you remember when he stayed at the Aga Khan's island? And uh, in turn, the Canadian taxpayer made a substantial contribution to the Aga Khan's foundation. So I wonder what's happening here. I guess that will remain to be seen. Let's keep going. It says over the holidays, the prime minister stayed in a private compound at a luxury oceanfront resort in Jamaica that rents for over $9,300 a night, um, 
again, longtime friends surface in every Trudeau story. Um, if they aren't being appointed to decide uh, whether or not the liberals should get in trouble for um, benefiting from Chinese interference, um, they're giving you free stuff. It was a 10-day vacation with his three children and wife, estranged wife, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Um, the Prime Minister's office had not disclosed exactly where in Jamaica the Trudeau stayed, but photos posted on social media during the trip show two family members relaxing poolside at the Frankfurt Villa, a secluded beachfront enclave that is part of the Prospect Estate Resort near Ocho Rios, or Ocho Rios, I don't know. Anyway, the resort is owned by the family of Peter Green, a businessman with ties to Trudeau's family dating back to the 1970s through his late father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Frankfurt is one of the five villas at the resort that can be rented out during what the resort calls the festive period. Of course, these people even use Christmas holidays. The Frankfurt is available for $7,000 U.S. a night. The rate would be $84,000 Canadian for the nine nights the Trudeau spent in Jamaica. Now, they're not supposed to take stuff for free, but apparently this trip was cleared in advance by the new federal ethics commissioner, Conrad von Finkelstein, that's the perfect bureaucrat name, by the way. <laughs> the PMO said the commissioner was told from the start that the Trudeau's accommodations were provided for free to the family. Uh, and now I'm curious, where did the RCMP details stay? Because they're not allowed to take stuff for free, right? Um it says, on Trudeau's trip to Prospect Estate at the end of 2022, so this is the second time he's been there, the additional expenses to keep the Canadian Armed Forces Air Crews and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police protective detail in Jamaica cost the government over $149,000. The Privy Council office paid another $14,000 to have a staff member stay nearby the resort to ensure a secure phone line was available to the Prime Minister during his vacation. Now... Trudeau is rubbing it in our faces here, and this is why. And, I, you know, I, I loathe to say it, but Glenn McGregor, whom I make fun of quite frequently, he's, he's done some good work here. Now, the reason I say they're rubbing it in our faces is this next part. He's already gotten in trouble for ethics violations surrounding this estate and last year's vacation to it. So he thought, you know what, whatever. Screw you guys, I'll do it again. In April, Trudeau faced questions about a potential conflict of interest over the December trip to Prospect Estate because Green's family has donated in the past to the Trudeau Foundation, which the Prime Minister's family is connected to. And Green's sons, Alexander and Andrew, both from Bermuda, have funded a Trudeau Foundation scholarship honoring their late mother, Mary Jean Mitchell Green. Oh, so incestuous, isn't it? Um, and, uh, but it seems about right because Trudeau can't take a vacation and do it properly. You never heard about this stuff when the Harpers for 10 years were taking family vacations. We didn't pay for Stephen Harper's nanny. We didn't do any of that stuff. He took care of his family on his own. And that like every time Trudeau decides that he needs a vacation, one of, uh, 
I don't know, I think he spends like 50% of the days of the year vacationing. Every time he takes a vacation, it's embroiled in an ethics scandal every single time. Um, but breakfast television over at, who, what's breakfast television? Is that city TV? I don't even know. I don't watch regular TV by and large. But at breakfast television, their morning show, I guess, it's unwatchable from what I can tell. They don't want to hear anymore about us being upset about the constant ethics violations where Trudeau gets a free vacation from his friends and then the Canadian taxpayer does something in return for Trudeau's friends. Um, they're just so sick and tired of it. Um, yeah, me too, but for different reasons. Let's hear from these uh, well-kept mainstream media handout journalists situation but he's going to visit friends and family at a friend's resort of some kind i think that is just fine now, now there are moments like at the queen's funeral like those were not cheap accommodations no. mm -hmm. uh the prime minister and team had and we can we can we can go back and forth on kind of what's appropriate and inappropriate there because i kind of see both sides of it but again i'm kind of i'm very proud to be on a show where we don't carry a lot of water here mm -hmm. like we kind of call it as we see it <laughs> and i at times have not been a real friend of this prime minister but I'm done with this. This is the most garbage headline in Canadian politics right now. There is nothing more ridiculous you're going to see on any website than that. Do you know what, like, a backbench MP in their first term in this country makes? It's close to $200,000. That's your money. That's our money. That's my money. Tams, mayors, everyone. All right? You don't hear about where anyone goes on vacation who's not prime minister. You don't hear about where they spend that money, because that's still technically our money. Maybe not security detail with Polyev, maybe not security detail with Jagmeet Singh, but that's still, we still pay all of them. And I don't bring out that card a lot, but that is a fact. And I'm talking like the most inexperienced MPs in this country make about $200,000. They've barely been in the House of Commons. So until I know where everyone in the Conservatives went on vacation, until I know where everyone on, on the NDP side went on vacation, the, 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 the Parti Québécois and, and the one person left in the Green Party, until I hear all of that, I don't want to hear this garbage. It's the most ignorant thing in Canadian politics right now. I want to go, because anytime they go on vacation, guess what? We're paying for it too. We're paying for Polly's vacation, Jagmeet Singh, everybody. And even, even the ones that aren't important. Let's be honest, the real backbenchers. We pay for all of them. He's the prime minister. He still is very, very, very important of what we do and how we conduct our business. I don't care what you think of him. And you need to find a new headline. There's enough of them. Believe me, there's enough. I've seen the polls. You've seen the polls. It's a lazy headline. It's ridiculous. Find a new angle, because we're, get, we're getting really lazy in this country when it comes to this. Back off. And I hear Jamaica's lovely this time of year. Breakfast television is going to... Um, how clueless is that guy? Yes, the taxpayer pays this. Uh, look, uh, this guy is so wrong. All of a sudden, I'm going to defend MPs who work on the taxpayer dime. Like, this is how wrong this guy is. This is the place in which I find myself. If Pierre Polyev takes a family vacation, I haven't paid for his family vacation. Yes, I paid Pierre Polyev's salary. Like I, pay, like I pay a gazillion other government employees' salaries. But I didn't pay his way somewhere. 
I didn't pay $200,000 for a security detail to follow him around. And I didn't pay for whatever payoff his friends are going to get on behalf of the taxpayer. That's the difference here. How does this guy not understand this? By the way, he works for bailout media. So if we want to talk about who's on the dime of the taxpayer, fine, buddy. You're no better. You're no better than those MPs that you're ranting about. They are also paid by the taxpayer. You, buddy, are also paid by the taxpayer. What did you do over Christmas? Because according to your logic, I paid for your Christmas vacation. So please tell me what you're doing with your money. Or is that just your salary? There's a difference between being on the taxpayer dime and, and then spending your taxpayer salary to do things which is what the other MPs do, which is actually what this guy does too, versus what Justin Trudeau is doing. Going on luxury expensive vacations, which are optically terrible considering the fact that Canadians are suffering through one of the most uh, difficult inflationary crises in Canadian history. Housing is absolutely insane. People are not taking a tiny staycation because of the cost of living. And he's off on a millionaire's island and then he's got a history of ethics violations we've got enormous bills to uh deal with his security detail and the flight crews and parking that the plane or both planes um you know it would have been respectful for canadians to say look we're taking a staycation canada's a beautiful place um you know we're gonna go to um harrington lake which we just paid a gazillion dollars in upgrades for we're going to use the ski, uh, the cross-country ski trail there that they keep upgrading, that Canadian taxpayers keep paying for, if you, in case you didn't know, and the full uh, Olympic-sized skating rink that they keep on the ice there for him to use, I don't know, once a year, but they maintain it all year. He could have said that, but he didn't. And like, uh, this is why people don't watch regular TV anymore because you have clueless people like this guy opining and making these false equivalencies that now leave me defending MPs. I, that's how wrong he was. Look what he's done to me. Could you imagine being so wrong that I'm defending how MPs spend their Christmas vacation? Gross. Um, we have a clip about uh, Trudeau talking about how he chose this vacation. He did this um, talk um, it was like an end of the year interview with this uh, absolutely little known fellow. I've never heard of him before, actually. And I, I'm from the media. and I've never really heard of this guy before. But apparently he's so chummy with Justin Trudeau. And he's so important in the media landscape that Justin Trudeau came on his like video podcast. And he suggests, I think this is what's happening here, that it, it was the kids who chose the trip to Jamaica at the longtime family friend of Trudeau's dad. Sure, buddy. Anyway. Without poking my nose where it doesn't belong, you have a new situation to navigate at home. How's the kids? How's everybody doing? Kids are good. Sophie and I are best friends. Great. And we will stay that way. Great. Uh, and that's, we're even going to, yeah, we're going away on on holiday together this Christmas, and that'll be that'll be good. It'll be great for how the do, kids. How do you decide, by the way, when everybody talks about, oh, the Prime Minister's gone away again, how do you decide where you're going to go? Do you talk to the kids? And yeah, do you, talk to the yeah, kids. Yeah, say, where do you want to yeah, go? That's what, what, what yeah. are you feeling like? Yeah, it, what are you know, in the mood for a beach yeah, or whatever? Exactly. Yeah, 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 okay. Like most families do, and, you know, look at, yeah. 
Is your Christmas shopping done? <laughs> Speaking of Canadian Tire, mostly, mostly, mostly. I okay. still have a little, little, little bit to do. Are you? Myself. Are you going to get a Christmas break? Okay. Imagine you got to sit down with the prime minister and you're asking him if this Christmas shopping is done. Does Justin Trudeau really want me to believe that it wasn't the fact that this is a longtime Trudeau Foundation donor? and uh, a longtime friend of the family. That's the reason he chose this ethics murky trip, that he wants me to believe that the kids chose the Jamaican vacation. I also wonder if Sophie brought her boyfriend on this vacation. You know what I'm going to do? I'm pulling the flight records. <laughs> I want to know if it was a very awkward family Christmas vacation because Trudeau's soon-to-be ex-wife or estranged ex-wife brought her boyfriend on the Challenger jet and then shacked up with him on the Christmas vacation. But yeah, it's the kid, the kids who did it. The kids chose the Jamaican vacation not Justin Trudeau. And he's like, and look how out of touch he is too. He's like, oh, and I asked the kids, like, do you, it's Christmas. Do you feel like a beach, a luxury beach vacation or something else? And then he goes, you know, like most families do. <laughs> Excuse me, moi. <laughs> I don't believe most Canadian families are like kids. Do you want to go on a luxury Jamaican beach vacation at a private resort? Or do you just want to stay home this year? The ball's in your court. Like most Canadian families especially ones dealing with what Justin Trudeau has done to the economy are having that conversation with their kids at all. Anyway, I think we've wrapped up all the things I needed to say about Justin Trudeau's Christmas vacation. It is garbage. I agree with that ill-informed talking head over at breakfast television. It is garbage, but for different reasons. And also his take was garbage, absolute garbage. Um, anyway, let's hit an ad break and we'll come back and then we'll talk about uh, the rise of anti-Semitism in Canada going, um, well, basically completely unabated, particularly in the GTA. Justin Trudeau's new censorship law, Bill C-18, it's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada. We've partnered with Private Internet Access, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices at piavpn.com slash rebelnews. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The wellness company Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you know what. Go to twc.health rebel today. Alrighty, it's funny how Andrea has to dance around scientific facts in that ad to avoid extreme censorship. Um, let's talk a little bit or a lot bit about what's going on in Toronto. You know, they say these never ending Hamas blockades 
in Canadian cities, they're about anti-Zionism. Okay, that's great. Um, but I don't believe that. That's a lie. Um, they are anti-Semitism, particularly because they are targeting Jewish neighborhoods and Jewish businesses in Canada. It's anti-Semitism. It's not really anti-Israel. It's a pernicious age-old bigotry uh, just being cloaked in the veneer of anti-colonialism BS. Um, we've got this story here. Zionist-infested areas. This is on rebelnews.com. Anti-Israel protests increase in Canada over the holidays. Since the Hamas terror attack in early October, there's been a steep increase in far-left protests against Israel, including attempts to disrupt Christmas and New Year's celebrations. Um, they are mobbing Eaton Centre. They plan to cancel Christmas. They tried to storm the mall. In mid-December, all we saw was uh, various factions of the anti-Israel movement, which seems to be also um, an extension of anti-Americanism, uh, taking to the streets. We saw Salman Sima, an Iranian refugee whose crime was holding a sign that said, Merry Christmas. He was assaulted. He had his shoulder dislocated. And it all happened in front of the police. He was hospitalized in Toronto because of this. He was holding a sign that said Hamas is a terrorist organization. And it is. It's a listed terrorist entity in Canada. And he gets assaulted by police. Or, excuse me, he gets assaulted by anti-Semitic protesters in Toronto, feet away from police, hospitalized. Guess what? No charges. No charges against him. Multiple, or no charges against the person who committed the crime against him. Multiple angles, multiple videos, no charges yet. Um... And this, this is nothing new. Actually, we're seeing the Toronto police, maybe we have footage of that, drives me crazy. It's like a funeral procession style entourage escort that these anti-Semitic mobs are getting through the streets of Toronto. Um, I don't know if we've, we have footage of that, but it took place yesterday in Toronto. Um, we also have had... Uh, here, let's take a look at this. Do we have video, audio? Official organizer? Okay. Um, I just want to let you know that there's some of the instruction that we've got. You guys are obviously, you know, allowed to be here. Can you tell them? Can you tell them? Yeah, well, I can tell whoever is like. Yeah. I've got my body cam on too as well. Thank just you. Hey, how are you? Oh. Good, okay. I just, there's nothing like hanging off the side of the bridge. Yeah, no, but I'm asking as well, right? Like, like Oh, look at that. You can honk for Gaza, but you can't honk for freedom. On this side, if you guys can just make sure that there's nothing like hanging over, that way nothing can, hang, can fall onto the highway. We're good, right? Sorry? Don't put anything over with zip ties, apparently. Don't hang something over with zip ties. 
I mean, I have no problem with like. Maybe a little bit more. What do you want us? Is there something right now you want us to do? This is not quite what I was looking for. Maybe we can find some of that, but um, it's readily available if you're on X, formerly known as Twitter. You can see um, these anti-Semitic marches targeting Jewish neighborhoods in Toronto, and they're getting a police escort through the neighborhood. They're blocking the streets, which is not what the Freedom Convoy did. The Freedom Convoy always left the lane of traffic open um, because the Freedom Convoy was full of logistics experts. Um, instead of getting the Emergencies Act pulled on these people, they are getting a police escort through town. Um, I was talking to Salman Seema, the man who was assaulted at uh, a pre-Christmas anti-Semite march. And, you know, he noticed the real difference between how the Freedom Convoy is being treated versus this stuff. And it's no secret that a lot of this is being funded by the terrorist uh, financiers in the Iranian regime. There's Salman right there. And he got beat up for holding that. Um, but we know that the deep pockets of the world's largest financier of terrorism, the Iranian regime, has been helping to at least promote, maybe even finance a lot of this stuff. And yet nobody's bank account is being frozen. But if you gave $20 to a trucker, for some coffee along the way, you not only had your bank account frozen, but if you were a farmer, Farm Credit Canada denied you financing. Isn't that interesting? Uh, we've got a uh, story. Uh, I believe David Menzies was on the scene of this yesterday. So expect a story coming out on revelnews.com about this. Fire and graffiti at a Jewish-owned business targeted being probed as hate motivated really you think the building was burned and it was defaced with graffiti reading free palestine on the rear doors now is this an israeli owned business nope these people happen to be jewish but russian so this is not again specifically anti-israel or anti-zionist or anti-colonialism as they say this is age-old anti-Semitism. If you are Jewish or Jewish adjacent even, um, no ties to the state of Israel whatsoever, you can have your property burned. And they might investigate it as a hate crime. Um, you'll note the name is IDF. Now, that is not Israeli Defense Force. I think it's International Delhi. I forget the, the last part. Um, uh, international delicatessen foods. Um, but these people don't care. If it's owned by Jews, they get to burn it, I guess. That's, that's what's happening. And I will tell you, with the number of, and we'll talk to that in a minute, uh, with the number of Christian churches burned and vandalized over the last two and a half years, plus all the hate crimes targeting synagogues, Jewish day schools, Jewish owned businesses, Jewish run businesses like Chapters, Indigo, um, flower shops, there would be a, a, a national crisis on our hands. And, and I think there is, it just goes unacknowledged by the prime minister 
But remember how the prime minister weighed in on the, excuse me, the hijab hoax many years ago, not even all that many, maybe four years ago, a young girl claimed that an Asian man, I think she meant Caucasian, that's what she was probably coached to say, but young kids, they don't know those grown up words. She said a Caucasian man pulled at and snipped at her hijab. The prime minister weighed in on that. Um, he sent some tweets in support of her and, you know, blah, 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 diversity is our strength. It was a hoax. It was a hoax. The Chinese community, the Asian community was maligned um, as hate criminals. They never got an apology from anybody who pointed the finger in their direction, including Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. But you think Trudeau will weigh in to say something about, hey, maybe let's not burn uh, businesses for the crime of being Jewish owned. He's busy. He's on vacation, you guys. Um, let's go to this tweet from the big boss man, Ezra Levant. <clears throat> he says, I just scrolled through a 340 person neighborhood chat. And this is in relation to anti-Israel, but I'll just call them anti-Semitic activists uh, on Avenue Road 401 overpass. And we saw images of that. That was the Avenue Road 401 overpass. The reason they're targeting that Avenue Road overpass is because it's in a Jewish neighborhood. So they're trying to make Jewish people feel unsafe in their own neighborhoods in Canada. Anyway, Ezra says, Hey, could you imagine? This is like the, like as Ezra has said in the past, this is like the Klan marching through a black neighborhood. I mean, it's atrocious, right? Um, but that's what is happening in Toronto. Nobody seems to care. Well, I shouldn't say that, but nobody in charge seems to care. Um, Ezra says, I just scrolled through a 340 person neighborhood chat group for Armour Heights, the largely Jewish community blockaded by Hamas with the approval of Toronto police. The main discussion is how to leave Canada and to where. I bet it's Florida. <laughs> if I had to guess, I would say it's probably Florida that they would leave to. Um, freer, friendlier, um, uh, and a large Jewish community there. I think that's where everybody from New York retires to. Um, Yankee Pollock, <laughs> our social media manager, he's your uh, local redneck Jew <laughs> where he lives. Um, so I bet you it's there, but I mean, this is a conversation that was had, I think in France, not all that long ago when, uh, they had a real spate of anti-Semitic motivated hate crimes and murders, by the way. Um, and a lot of Jewish people felt it was unsafe to be openly Jewish on the streets uh, for example, not wearing a kippah, but maybe wearing a baseball cap instead. Um, and a lot of them were saying, like, it's not safe for us here. Where do we go? Well, now we're having that conversation about Toronto because of the complete and total lack of leadership of Mayor Olivia Chow, who I think has probably run the numbers and said, there are more of these people than there are of Jews. So uh, whether it's right or wrong, she doesn't care. She's playing the vote game. And... Uh, it's a horrible, horrible, cynical thing to do, but these people care more about power than they do about doing the right thing. Um, 
except for this guy. UBC professor of medicine resigns over its response to rising anti-Semitism. Dr. Ted Rosenberg claims the university faculty of medicine has failed to address rising anti-Semitism on campus during the Israel Hamas war. And, you know, we see so much of this stuff just percolating on campus again, because, well, because Qatar has funded a lot of uh, universities, but also because universities are just a hotbed of leftism and leftism is generally anti-Americanism. And what's the most American place in the Middle East? Israel. I mean, half the country is American. <laughs> um, and they've got a real patriotic sense. They're an entrepreneurial nation and, and everybody serves in the military. And so if you, if I were to point to the next most American place on the face of the earth, it wouldn't be Canada after the United States. For me, it would be Israel having been there three times. I spent probably 30 days of my life in Israel. Um, uh, Dr. Ted Rosenberg of Victoria has been with UBC for three decades and he sent a resignation letter on New Year's Day to the medical faculty dean, Dr. Dermot Kelleher, effective Tuesday. The three-page correspondence outlines the number of Rosenberg's grievances, including that a medical student has been circulating a petition featuring anti-Israel and anti-Semitic statements in the name of supporting Gaza residents during the Israel-Hamas conflict. He also claims that an assistant professor in the faculty has been posting historically revisionist anti-Jewish statements and memes on social media without any repercussions from UBC administrators. One post cited Rosenberg shows an image of the Christian Holy Family. Oh, my God. Under the rubble in Gaza as it is bombed by Israel. The Christian Holy Family was Jewish. The Christian Holy Family might have been. Look. We want to play this game. The Christian Holy Family was Jewish. In fact, all of the early Christians did not consider themselves not Jewish. They just were a different sect of Judaism until like the fourth century. Um, but we want to play this game. The Virgin Mary, if we're doing this, she would have been targeted by the rapists and murderers of Hamas, right? As a Jewish, as a young Jewish girl. They wouldn't have been buried under the rubble of Gaza. By the way, every single civilian death in Gaza hangs squarely around the neck of Hamas like a millstone. Um, it, the professor writes, I cannot think of a clearer example of classical Jew-hating anti-Semitism than this modern-day resurrection of the charge of deicide, he wrote. The accusation of being Christ killers was responsible for the worst violence and oppression against Jews for millennia. Yeah. These, demonization, these demonizing accusations are not just directed against the state of Israel, but by proxy to all its supporters, including the vast majority of Jews in the diaspora. We as Jewish faculty feel these attacks personally and deeply. Again, tug at a hijab, straight to jail. Straight to jail, even if it actually never happened. Um, and one last thing from the uh, infestation of anti-Semitism on Canadian university campuses. McMaster University 
sued for $77 million over alleged anti-Semitic incidents on campus. The lawsuit alleges Jewish students have faced increased difficulties due to a rise in anti-Semitic rhetoric on campus since October 7th, 2023. It's a class action lawsuit brought against McMaster University and the McMaster Students Union on behalf of Jewish students. Uh, it goes on to say that a vigil organized by Jewish student groups had to be moved to a secret location for safety reasons, as well as a McMaster teaching assistant who allegedly supported the public display of a swastika outside of Canada's Parliament Hill as examples. Crazy. It's crazy. Imagine being a Jewish family and trying to send your student off, your 17 year old off to university. Where do you choose? Where do you choose? What do you do? Where will they be safe? Uh, we saw like a mob violence at Canadian universities early on in the um, Hamas Israel conflict. Um, I, I just, you know, like for me, I'm like, where do I send my child that she may not be brainwashed? Could you go to a trade school? Can you get be a welder like your big brother? Um, for me, it's uh, I'm concerned about my child being brainwashed, although she's pretty smart and she's a bit of a trad Catholic. Um, but imagine being one of a, a number of Jewish families considering where to send your child to university. Um, tens of thousands of, thousands of dollars in tuition every year for them to have to face this, run the gauntlet of anti-Semites so that they can go to class. It's just gross. Uh, let's hit an ad break. Uh, we have about 23 minutes left in the show. I am doing something today that I have never tried before. Listen up. I'm looking for collaborators in a new and exciting initiative. As you most likely know, YouTube a long time ago demonetized Rebel News and we are 100% viewer funded. Now, while our supporters are fantastic at helping us cover legal campaigns and special reporting missions, unfortunately, the reality is our day-to-day -day operational expenses often exceed our income stream, which is crazy if you think about it because my videos across all platforms attract hundreds of thousands of views and sometimes even millions. So I want to share that reach with the right partners. If you have a product or business and want to enter a win-win relationship with me, please go to rebelnews.com forward slash ads and fill in the form to let me know. I won't be accepting anyone. I need to believe in your business or product so I can sell it proudly for you. And for successful applicants, I will guarantee a minimum view count, meaning even if your ad is published on the less popular reports, we'll keep promoting your business or product until it gets the agreed minimum eyeball. So again, if you have a cool company or product that either wants to take advantage of my reach or want to support my work through advertising in a way that you can write it off as a tax deduction or both, head over to rebelnews.com forward slash ads and hopefully we can join forces soon. I've got a chilling story for you next. And the reason it's chilling is because Canada has agreed to accept a thousand applications from Canadians' relatives in Gaza. 
as refugees. And this is chilling for me because I know the last time there was a conflict, um, I know the level of screening, as in next to none, being done on Syrian refugees who are attempting to come to Canada. And we know one of Justin Trudeau's Syrian refugees who was imported into the country at the time was just convicted of murdering a young teenage girl whose name we, is covered with a publication ban in uh, the greater Vancouver area. And we also know that uh, like two thirds, it's probably, or sorry, three quarters, although it's probably more considering uh, it's probably more the younger they get, by the way, um, that of residents of Gaza, civilians of Gaza support Hamas. We know that support for Hamas across the Palestinian territories has increased since the October 7th murderous spree across southern Israel that left 1,200 dead and I think 240 at the time kidnapped into Gaza. And many of those kidnappees are likely presumed dead. The, by the way, the Red Cross has never even attempted to see them. Like, isn't that crazy? Never even tried? Um, <clears throat> so anyway, this is all very frightening because um, back in the day, five years ago maybe, um, I pulled access to information documents from uh, Immigration and Refugees Canada. And I wanted to know what sort of screening was being done on Syrian refugees. And so uh, like the murder of that girl in Vancouver by Ibrahim Ali, it's horrific, but also no shock because I know that from those records, and it should have been a national scandal, but I covered it, not the mainstream media. So, you know, whatever, uh, that the federal government was prioritizing uh, family units in the refugee queues. Okay. Makes sense. You're thinking mom, small children, maybe dad's killed or off fighting. So we want to get the families through the immigration queue faster, except they didn't define what a family was. So two fighting aged men with no IDs or compromised IDs, because we know that ISIS uh, had seized control of some passport printing documents. I think um, when they took control of some of the areas in northern Iraq and Syria. Uh, so you couldn't really go by passports for people's names, but for, um, you know, for the immigration bureaucrats, it was good enough. Uh, you could be two fighting age men and claim you're brothers. And guess what? You're at the top of the immigration queue to come to Canada with potentially compromised ISIS-issued documents. I saw it. I saw it in the records. that, And they would, like, give... They would black out the names, but they would say um, this person and this person, brothers, and give their ages. They are coming as a family unit to Canada. So they already don't screen uh, refugees as well as they should, especially places where there is extreme radicalism and it's hard to separate the radicals from the normals. And then we also know that Justin Trudeau has decided that we need to take a thousand uh, refugee claims. I don't know what that means. Does that mean families? So it could be like 5,000 people. 
um, from a place where already terrorism is a perfectly acceptable means of resistance, according to them. And uh, the schools teach terrorism. They have little kill the Jew pageants. That's not me making that up. They do. And those are UN funded and UN run schools. But now, uh, if we go to this story from True North, now that I've spent five minutes setting up how terrible this really is for Canadian public safety, the refugee board is not tracking claimants who lie about their age despite past cases. The federal tribunal in charge of approving refugee and asylum claims say it's not keeping track of adults who lie about their age and claimed they were unaccompanied minors upon arrival in Canada. So they're gaming the system. They probably gamed the system by walking across at Roxham Road, and then they lied about their age to stay in the country. Um, and if you lie about your age, you're probably lying about your identity and your reasons for being in the country, right? Um, uh, but they are not even bothering to keep track of these people. Uh, and I guess it doesn't preclude them from uh, continuing on with their refugee claim. Like, it's pretty clear that they don't care. Um, True North asked the uh, Immigration Refugee Board of Canada to provide statistics on how many adult claimants were discovered to have misrepresented their age to immigration officials. The board said such data is not tracked. So they don't even care. Uh, under, like, of course, like, uh, an unaccompanied minor is somebody under the age of 18 that's not accompanied by their parent, family member, or legal guardian. Um, as of January 1st, 2017, there have been 876 refugee asylum claimants registered as unaccompanied minors and referred to the Refugee Protection Division for further evaluation. The board has overseen cases where adults have misrepresented themselves as minors. A 30-year-old refugee from South Sudan claimed he was 17. This is a creep show. He claimed he was 17 to attend grade 11. He was even granted a full athletic scholarship and played on a Windsor, Ontario Catholic high school's basketball team. What in God's name? That is creepy as the day is long. His passport and official documents claimed his birth date to be 1998. However, he had made other representations in the United States claiming to have been born in 1986. Despite all of this, stealing opportunities from actual young boys, Nicola was released from custody and the CBSA dropped the case. Welcome to Canada, buddy. Um, this is immigration fraud. Um, good work, by the way by our friends over at True North asking these questions. Um, so what I'm saying is, uh, I think we're gonna have a lot of 30 year old people, young men with, uh, oh my God, how did they think he was 17? That guy is a mortgage, a minivan. Look at him, he's got a receding hairline. And he's playing as a 17-year-old basketball star. You know what? This is just, you know what? There's a uh, trans age, right? Melody Wiseheart, Nicholas Cepeda, he can be a 13-year-old girl. This guy can be a 17-year-old boy, I guess. Um, but yeah, the moral of the story is we're going to have a, a heck load of 30-year-old dudes 
in grade 11 uh, with terrorist and radical tendencies coming to Canada very, very soon. That's what I think. Because why? Because it's already happened. Uh, let's go to this next story about um, this gets, uh, I'm trying not to swear, filed under no shoot Sherlock. Uh, <laughs> BC cops were, were not fully prepared for drug decriminalization says uh, this, uh, oh, what's the tiny uh, local journalism initiative reporter. So this is funded by the federal government. Her career is funded um, by the federal government. But uh, yeah, so we know that BC cops were blindsided by the fact that the BC government gave a directive that uh, you look, you guys aren't going to be rounding up uh, the drug addict recidivists who are creating a black hole of social decay in the neighborhoods, you guys are just going to turn a blind eye to it. Um, and it, it's clear the cops weren't prepared for it. And how could you be? How could you be prepared for the government to say, you know what, it's just going to be a free for all. Hard drugs, do them. Who cares? Uh, treatment, what's that? Uh, you know what, maybe we'll even give you the drugs. The cops were blindsided by it. I bet they were. I bet they were, but this is what the federal government wants for every city in the country. Thank God Alberta is um, a little bit more uh, clear-headed on this issue. Yeah, look, when British Columbia's drug decriminalization project came into force last year, only two-thirds of police officers had been trained in what that meant. Yeah, of course, because police officers see crimes and it's almost, it's their reflex to want to do something about it. When they see people harming themselves, they want to intervene and stop. Um, but they were asking the cops who were trying to save lives to just turn a blind eye, and the cops had no idea how to do that. How do you train people to ignore somebody slowly killing themselves? <laughs> I don't know. I guess, I guess they wanted them to do that in BC, and the cops had a hard time adjusting. Who knew? Uh, we've got also from our friends at True North, um, before we move into, uh, the last 10 minutes of the show in the portion we call stunning and brave. Um, let's talk about this, uh, update a map of the 96 churches that have been vandalized or burned since the residential schools announcement. Uh, this is like, look at that. Great work by our friends over at True North. This is a project of Cosman Georgia, uh, whose name is just so damn fun to say. But he has been tracking this from the very beginning, since the very first announcement that uh, there was a discovery of a mass grave. That's how they first reported it at the Kamloops Indian Residential School, where to this day, there has not been a single body unearthed, not one. And I'll tell you, there are, there's not a lot that the UN does well, but they are actually very good at investigating genocide. A lot of it has to do with the fact that they mostly stand there and watch the genocide happen, <clears throat> Rwanda, and do nothing. So they've had a bird's eye view of the genocide. So they know how to find it. They know how to detail it. They know how to catalog it. We've accused Canada. We, we mean the politicians 
the fancy people, the tall foreheads, have accused Canada of being a genocidal state. And they've said that the discovery at the Kamloops Residential School is evidence of that. Great. Call in the UN. Call in the investigators, the genocide investigators, the ones that investigated in the former Yugoslavia, the ones that investigated in Rwanda, the ones that uh, investigated in northern Iraq. Call those people in. Call them in. Let's get the shovels in the ground. You know, if there is hell to pay and people to hold accountable, great. We can only do that through an investigation. You cannot claim a crime has been committed and then not investigate the crime so that you can hold the people to account. Except insofar as this, we're supposed to take oral histories as proof. Well, that might be proof for you and your community, but that is not proof in a court of law. And when you're accusing people of crimes, you need to have evidence. And we have had zero evidence of what's happened in Kamloops. And now 96 churches in Canada have been vandalized, burned down, or desecrated. And they've used, they've used this, uh, oh, look at, you just, could you, if you wouldn't mind, friends in the office, scrolling through just this awful list. St. Paul's Anglican Church, St. Columba Church, St. Anne's Catholic Church, Chopaka Catholic Church, Sacred Heart Mission Church. That one really gets me because that Sacred Heart Mission Church, that's an indigenous church. That's an indigenous church. You burn down the church of the indigenous people who are by and large Catholic by the way, uh, St. Gregory Mission Church. Um, again, a Catholic church on the band, Grace Lutheran Church, Our Lady of Peace in Peace River. Uh, it, it just, Sixica First Nation Catholic Church. Again, they're burning indigenous churches where indigenous people are baptized, married, receive their sacraments and buried. They're burning their histories. St. Jean-Baptiste Parish in Morinville. Our Lady of Mercy Catholic Church. Again, indigenous church. The Polish Roman Catholic Church. That one made me sad to see it. St. Kateri. St. Kateri is an indigenous Catholic saint. She, used to, she was very recently canonized, by the way. She's called the Lily of the Mohawks. And uh, she very, re like in the last 10 years, canonized. I have to train my tongue not to say Blessed Kateri because she was beatified, but not yet canonized. And now she's canonized. She's a Canadian indigenous Catholic saint. They burned her church. They burned her church. Samson United and Masquerces. Again, that's on reserve. Uh, Little Flower Mission in Fox Lake. So many of these are churches that serve the indigenous community. And it makes me very, very upset to see all, just the list of these names. Uh, Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Catholic Church in Fort Chip, another indigenous church. Uh, St. Teresa Point, Roman Catholic Church, that's on the First Nation in Manitoba. St. Gabriel Catholic Church, that's Jean Vier, that's on the reserve. Even, oh, they even went after the Latter-day Adventist churches. Like, it's just God's Lake First Nations Church. It, I would guess that 50% of these serve Indigenous communities. 
it makes me so mad. The one that really I found so upsetting and stupid, besides all the fact, besides the fact that they were burning indigenous churches where indigenous people go, it was the Our Lady Queen of Poland Catholic Church in Edmonton. Now, there, what was a church where you could, and I've done it a hundred times, walked up and they have this statue of Pope John Paul II uh, outside of the church and you could sort of come up and touch it. And now the church is uh, like fortified, that like the, the yard of the church is fortified and it's under video surveillance because they splash paint all over the statue of Saint Pope John Paul II, another saint I have to train myself to say. Uh, he was the most ecumenical of, I think, all the popes towards the indigenous community. You Just Google John Paul II kissing indigenous people and you'll get a hundred photos of him. He felt deeply connected to reconciliation with indigenous people, that there was a spot for them in our church, in our faith, to worship in their own languages, within their own culture, because our, our he felt our church was a church for everybody. And they vandalized that. And now the people in that neighborhood, which is a very low-income neighborhood, they can't even visit the church uh, because the church is fortified because of this vandalism. It's just revolting. And again, 96 churches across the country, burned, vandalized, destroyed, otherwise desecrated, and all we get is Christian bashing from the powers that be. Um, let's go into Stunning and Brave, the Stunning and Brave portion of the show. Uh, let's do this uh, first article, uh, which I thought was kind of fun. <clears throat> this isn't a total suck-up bailout uh, audition for more government money headline at all, completely at all. This calm and cutting liberal mom is looking to give the conservatives a timeout. Uh, when was this published? Published January 4th. Karina Gould knows how to throw a hefty political punch. She often does it with a smile. Just six months into her role as government house leader, Gould has redefined what it means to be a prime minister's chief attack dog. Is that Karina Gould uh, who took a picture with a Nazi? Is that the one? <laughs> they don't even mention it once. Once in this entire article that she brought shame to the nation and her family and her name. Um, oh, they, they mention it briefly. Uh, she said it was a very difficult personal moment for her. Um, she, but they don't actually mention that she took a picture with him. They just sort of dance around the topic of her maybe being in the House of Commons when all this went down. They don't show like her with him, like, hey, look, look at me. We dusted off a Waffen SS guy, one of the last remaining on the face of the earth. Um, and uh, one who felt so comfortable with the Liberal Party that he knew that he could come out of hi hiding and uh, be honored as a war hero. Anyways, yeah, they briefly touch on this. Um, former Speaker Anthony Rhoda resigned his post amid controversy in September during a visit by Ukraine's president to the Canadian Parliament. He honored a Ukrainian-Canadian veteran who fought for a Nazi unit during the Second World War. 
She says, as someone whose family suffered immensely at the hands of the Nazis, it was a very difficult personal moment for her. Um, Gould said, okay, but was it difficult when you took that picture with him, when you gave him a standing ovation, when you like, look, this real difficult, you know, it was difficult is because you are so embroiled in deep seated anti-Russianism that for her, the Russians are worse than the Nazis. So they gave him a standing ovation as somebody who fought the Russians. Yeah, but the Russians were on our side, you lunatics. Um, she said it was a difficult personal moment for her. Don't look difficult, does it? <laughs> anyway, what an audition for uh, a little bit more government money, that article was. Um, and lastly, because we're getting to the top of the hour, we have to touch on this one because David Menzies is not on the show, but this is a very David Menzies topic. Uh, it's from the New York Post. Women and non-binary skiers. Oh, God. You guys fixed uh, sexism and homophobia all at one time. Women and non-binary skiers. I'm scared to hit the play button on that. Um, women and non-binary skiers to zip naked down Colorado Mountain at Liberating Festival Full Frontal Freedom. Look, don't lump me in with these people. <laughs> that's the part that I can't stand. It's like women and non-binary skiers. No, don't. Oh, they're top. Are they completely naked? Can't you? Oh. Sexism is fixed. You guys, people skied naked. Thanks. Female and non-binary skiers. What is a woman by the way? Female and non-binary skiers will get the chance to zip naked down a Colorado mountain as part of a festival its organizers describes as full frontal freedom. How are we going to make sure there are no kids on the ski hill that day? And no, there won't be any men sneaking glances at any unclothed ski bums, except for the guys that are saying that they're women so that they can just ski down the hill with their wang in full helicopter mode with the ladies who are completely buck naked and this solves sexism. Somehow, look at this solved. <laughs> Guys, we've solved all the problems. We skied naked. Also, you know, like if it's an icy day and you wipe out, I don't know. Anyways, a boot tan festival is gearing up for its fourth year of inviting women to hit the slopes fully nude for an after hours ski run at Sunlight Mountain Resort in Glenwood Springs on March 29th to 30th. Founder Jenny Veracci. 33, said the event started unintentionally Okay, to create a safe space for female skiers that would allow women to be free in a private place. Oh, so this started at a women's only, as a women's only thing? Uh, okay, then why are you letting the dudes in? Because they claim to be non-binary. This year, again, just taking up all of our spaces, but uh, I'd, I've never felt as a woman that I needed a, a place where I could be fully naked in the outdoors on an otherwise public facility. Like I've never felt that I was experiencing oppression because I didn't have that in my life. Like go volunteer at the women's shelter, go uh, collecting diapers on behalf of teen moms. If you want to really make a difference in some women's lives, this is just, privileged white lady garbage isn't it anyway uh 
This year, the founder opened up the festival to femme-presenting non-binary individuals as well. No, okay. When asked if she feared men might try to sneak in under the guise of non-binary as seen as a women's tech as seen at a women's tech job fair, Farachi isn't worried. We've never had an issue with men or men identifying. I guess. I don't know. Let me know in the comments what you guys think of this stuff. I, I just, as a woman, I'm, I just think this is just so petty and nonsensical. There are real challenges facing underprivileged women. But going on an exclusive naked ski at um, what seems to be a very nice high-end ski resort? Um, I'm not sure what problem that addresses. What's, like, what's the problem that you're fixing for women? It's just a bunch of self-indulgent BS is what, <laughs> what I think it is. Oh, God. From the Stanley Cup white lady crowd. Um, okay, uh, let's, <laughs> let's get into the last uh, couple of things. We have a couple of um, chats. Um, and thank you to everybody who does send a chat or even engages in lively conversation um, in the live chat, it's always kind of fun to go back and look and see what you think about what I'm saying about things, but also to to see what your opinions are on the topics that we're talking about. Uh, we've got one from Aaron Burton, 32, gives us five bucks and says, I hope you and the whole Rebel team had a great Christmas and New Year's. Keep up the awesome work. It's all very much appreciated. Well, thank you very much. It's very generous. Um, I think by and large, most of us had a, a nice Christmas break. We tried to keep you know, the up with the news as best we could and make sure that there was content for you guys. Some of us were gravely ill and had to convalesce for <laughs> like 10 days um, as I was. But um, no, I, it was it was uh, it was good to just sort of take a step back from the pressure cooker of news and enjoy what it's really all about. Friends, family, your faith. It was good. It was good. Thank you. I hope you had one, too. Um, Irish ice. I think, uh, gives us 10 bucks and says until Westerkind faces anti-whiteism head on, they have no chance of stopping the white erasure of the West or putting an end to the anti-white narrative that psychologically imprisons them. That's 10 bucks. Okay. Well, I have, I'm of two minds on this. First, I do believe there is anti-white racism. It's particularly pernicious in the public sector and in universities um, where, you know, you see these hiring quotas that say um, we're looking for uh, someone who is a sexual minority or woman and a person of color or an identifiable minority group or BIPOC, as they say. So particularly excluding men from the application process to hit a diversity quota. I think that's racism. When you're excluding someone on the basis of sex, uh, I was going to say gender, but I don't believe in gender. Sex, on the basis of biological sex, and um, on the basis of an immutable physical characteristic, like the color of their skin, that's absolutely racism. And it should not be allowed to go on. But as far as conservatism, I'm a cultural conservative in that I believe in not 
I, I, I don't care if Canada's white. I care if the people here have our shared values. I'll go back to Salman Zima. He's out there as an Iranian refugee to Canada protesting for Canadian values. Salman Zima, not white, representing Canadian values. I would much rather have Salman Sima on my side than a lily white, naked skier, feminist that we just talked about in the last story, right? Like, doesn't that make sense? So uh, I care about people's equality and the characteristics of their character and not the color of their skin, which is not a new concept. It's a Martin Luther King concept. And so, you know, like, uh, look, I'll be the first to tell you, I think a lot of the problems of today's society comes from the voting habits of suburban white ladies who voted for Justin Trudeau because he had nice hair and socks. Uh, but under your argument, those people are more acceptable than somebody like Salman Sima. And I, I, I just, I don't. I don't agree with that. For uh, I'll give you another example. There is a very large Filipino population at my daughter's school, her Catholic school, and they attend my church. And my church has never been more trad <laughs> and more orthodox than when that community started to populate my church. They are so involved. The church is young, lively, and traditional. They complain about stuff at the school before I have to, when we're dancing in heresy country. They've all, the school administration has already heard about it from the Filipino families before I get around to it. I don't have to complain about the intrusive percussive instruments at mass, notably a tambourine. Somebody else has already complained about it from a Filipino family. Um, so what's the moral of the story there? Um, uh, it's cultural conservatism. People don't have to share your genetic makeup to share your values and make this country a better place. So thank you for do your donation. Um, I do. So I'm of two minds there. As I said, I believe there is pernicious anti-white racism in universities and in the public sector and in the, uh, D EI, diversity, equity, and inclusion industry nonsense. Uh, that's absolutely true. But uh, I believe there are many traditionally conservative cultures um, whose values align with ours. And I'm happy to have them so that I don't have to be the only complainer at the school and at the church. <laughs> so that's it. Um, Thank you, everybody, for bearing with me on the first show back of the New Year's. Thank you to everybody who watches the show, um, chats in the live chat, pitches in a couple of bucks to keep the lights on. Thank you to everybody who works behind the scenes in the office uh, to make sure the show is available for you whenever and wherever you want to watch it. And as my friend David Menzies always says, stay sane. <laughs>